0: Oh, don't get me started on the Native American. It's, oh my god.
1: A short time ago, an American aeroplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev teared down this. American people, I think, is good
0: people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the <laughs> fame. fame, 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 fame. <laughs> Bringing it back, baby.
2: Welcome back to uh, the Cold War Show, episode one
0: thirty-two. Hell yeah! Hour three. How are
2: you?
0: I am fucking exhausted. Which means something good's going to happen the next hour. Hour three. <laughs> hour three.
2: <laughs> this I, I, I
0: applaud you, sir. I know. That's why I'm embarrassed. <laughs> that's my favorite. Well, no. See, no. Because not to mention a vagina. Welcome back.
2: <laughs> uh, in our last episode... We were talking about the UN Security Council vote uh, yeah, after yeah. the invasion, where the Russians weren't there, the Soviets weren't right. there in the Security Council. They uh, they stormed out in protest in because uh, six months earlier, uh, because the the uh, UN wouldn't give communist China a seat at the table. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't there to stop the UN justifying uh, action. Now. The U.S. has supported some pretty terrible foreign leaders in its history, Ray. Uh, That doesn't sound right. Often, it's the case (laughs) of the least
0: (laughs) worst option. See? Thank you. Uh, Give me some examples. Give me one.
2: (laughs) I (laughs) I was looking for the no, that doesn't sound right clip, but I'll just go with this. Bit of a cut stop laughing at the top of yourself
0: is Noriega he was one of our guys right, right in the God, I'm trying to remember was Noriega oh well there's guys? you know
2: Saddam Hussein Noriega yeah. uh, uh, the the Shah of Iran uh, yeah, good times uh, we <laughs> we could go there's a long list Long, long, long list. And rees on that list. But Batista in Cuba. But, yes, Sima was one of those. I mean, um, usually I think it is the least worst option. I don't think Americans go out uh, and look for the worst possible guy (laughs) to put in charge of this place, but what they're looking for is the guy who is most likely to support U.S. interests in the region and get shit done.
0: Right. Can they keep bust the place heads.
2: together? Are they hard right. enough to bust heads, and, but will they also support our interests? That's the magic. Kiss our ass. Combination.
0: Bust and heads sing kiss Marie, our ass.
2: Right. Yes, and Sing Marie was definitely one of those. Um, gotcha. I dug up uh, some newspaper articles on newspaper.com from around this period. New York Times on the 27th of June, 1950 wrote. The unpopularity of the Singman Rhee government and the questionable political and military reliability of the army and police force are the greatest weakness of the defending forces. God. I just want to put into context here that oh. Americans at, at the time of 1950 knew that Syngman yes. Rhee was extremely unpopular in his own country. Not just the American political leaders and military leaders knew that, but the general public knew that because it was reported in American newspapers. Right. People who read read the newspapers new anyway knew God this sake. to be true. Yeah. In April 1950, the Chicago, the Chicago Tribune ran a story saying that Dean Acheson was threatening to pull aid for Korea unless they increased taxes, cut expenditures, reduced inflation and held new elections in May. Now, Rhee had been trying to postpone the elections until later in the year, partly because he knew an invasion was coming, partly because he wanted to have more time to get rid of his enemies. Uh, But Atchison made him do it. Now, again, you know, I've talked in the last couple of episodes about bias and propaganda, and and, um, imagine if you read a story that said Stalin was threatening to pull aid from North Korea... Unless right. they, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, brought about agrarian reform and right, uh, did a whole bunch of economic and military things, you know, right. I'm pretty sure the view of many people in the West would be: see, see, uh, Soviet influence, puppet government, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But the American Matt. media were more than happy to run stories in 1950 saying that Dean Acheson was threatening to pull aid from South Korea unless they did what the Americans wanted, uh, but didn't call it a puppet regime. Um, that's right. it's okay when America does it, but if Stalin was <laughs> to do it, it would be signs that it was a puppet oh. regime. And yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking the piss here. I'm being serious. This is how. Propaganda yeah. works. There's a great quote from I.F. Stone's book that um, I posted on Facebook. He basically said that. Let's uh, shit. Let me um, dig this up because it's a good quote. Ah, oh, no, I didn't. Shit, where did I? Where did I use this? Anyway, fuck it. I.F. Stone wrote somewhere that um, the uh, way that prop- war propaganda works is it's not through outright lying. Mm-hmm. But it's through omission and uh, like exaggeration. But it's also the the words that you choose to use that hint at things rather than blatantly. Lying. Right. And this is one of the things. So when when we yeah. do it, it's okay. We're trying to lead their economy in the right direction by holding aid over right. them towards us. When the other side does it, right. you know, it's a puppet. It's a puppet regime. Hmm. Evil. Right. Yeah. So um but the US was still dictating how the country was being run long after they had supposedly handed it over to the South Korean control, is basically my point here.
0: Right. But see, here's the thing. Um Rhee is corrupt, he's brutal. And he's not very good at his job. The, the economy's falling apart. The people aren't happy. Things are probably being run a little bit better to some degree in the North, at least that they have, they have party discipline. But here's the thing. None of that matters because as soon as Kim's forces comes across the border, Re gets a do-over. Everything has been swiped clean. He is now our guy. He is defending. He might be all these horrible things but he's not a communist. In fact, he hates communists, and he's been trying to wipe them out ever since he's been in charge. So he's our guy. And, but here's the thing. Now, I read this in, in several different books, but I was kind of skeptical of it. It says at this point that even though Re, you know, bad guy, he, he he's he's now our guy because they're coming across the border. This isn't just a chance for Truman to show that he is... Tough on communism. This isn't just a chance for the people in the State Department or the people in the Truman administration to say this is our our opportunity to stand up to communism like we lost China. Supposedly, this is an opportunity for certain elements in most governments, not just um, in Europe, but in the Middle East and other parts of Asia as well. It's a, it's a chance for everybody to come together to grab hold of the fear the absolute fear that they have of communism supposedly and come together and come together and fight against or draw a line in the sand against what supposedly stalin is doing i don't know my, i don't know how much of that i believe but i certainly do believe that certain elements in almost every country and every government feared communism they were happy to join with the americans to stand up and fight against what was going on in south korea Um, But again, I just wonder to what degree that's true when someone who is obviously a Western writer says the world was afraid of communism and had a chance to finally manifest that fear and to come together and take a stand. But the point is, it is it is real. They've got the UN ba- backing. America is going to call on everybody to get them to help. And a lot of countries are going to respond because of the fear, whether it's genuine or whether it's been contrived through propaganda for the last five years against communism. <laughs>
2: Stalin, he got grooving up slowly, he got 2 you chew-up balls one holy roller, he got head down mustache down to, to his knees, knees. <laughs> got to be a commie he just did what he please oh
0: yeah, nice one.
2: together right now against the communists. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, all of that um, might be true. Now, yes, you know, I think uh, the the big fear that the U.S. had at the time, and, yeah. and along with other Western nations, was mm-hmm. that. The communists would take control of large chunks of Europe and Asia. And again, I I, I want to be really clear about this, and I know I've fucking said this ad nauseum, but I'm going to keep saying it because you know, I know most of you listening to this have got a lifetime of propaganda uh, in your brains that that we have to unpick here. It takes a while. And it takes time. Yes. But when we say the communists were going to take over, we're not talking about armies like dark clouds swooping in armies of like uh uh uh, uh you know uh, like, uh, uh, demons on bats fl- flying right. over and dark smoky clouds uh coming in yeah it's not like stormtroopers we're talking about uh homegrown indigenous political movements in these countries of people going, you know what, fuck the capitalists. They caused World War II. They caused World War I. Um, We've been oppressed by capitalists uh, for for decades or centuries, kept poor, kept uneducated, kept illiterate, no political power. Um, Communism offers a vision. Socialism and communism offers a vision for the people. Yes, these political movements may have been at various stages, supported economically and militarily and and with training or whatever Mm -hmm. by the Soviets. But as we've already seen, Stalin didn't support Mao until he'd already won. He didn't support Ho until, uh, well, after Stalin was dead, actually, before Ho really got any Soviet support. Um, So these are homegrown political movements that we're talking about. Now... But still, the US and, and uh, the other Western powers were concerned that the communists would become successful, politically successful. In large, that, uh, by the way, that's not to say that these, these homegrown indigenous uh, communist movements wouldn't have resorted uh, to force to take back power if right. they had to. Uh, like the the, the Bolsheviks did in Russia or the Viet Cong had to do in uh, uh, Indochina or Vietnam, and as the Cubans had to do uh, in Cuba, Fidel Castro had to do in Cuba, they were prepared, some of them were prepared to use force to get rid of the capitalists and, and, you know, take power. Right. The... you know, yeah, the the rising up of the proletariat. I mean, I think that they realised uh, that the capitalists weren't going to willingly give up yeah. power and would, in fact, use all of the means at their disposal to prevent the people from winning an election. Um, you know, we've seen this already in various points of our story. Uh, Ho Chi Minh... Uh, you know, was was trying to negotiate with the French right. to uh, uh, let the the people have power, and the French were like, mm, "No, nah, we, we don't think so. Fuck yeah. you." Uh, he, he had to resort to using yeah. force to get power because the French wouldn't give it willingly. Same thing in Cuba. I touched lightly on this when we did the Fidel Castro um, Obit episodes. People who know anything about the Castro's history know that before he was a guerrilla revolutionary, he was a lawyer and as a lawyer he tried to use the justice system and the legal system in Cuba under Batista to get the Constitution changed mm. um, and basically it, it was shut down um, you know by Batista. So force for Fidel was a last resort right. Force for Ho Chi Minh was a last resort. Of course, when you have capitalists in power, uh, they are going to use their control of the media, their control of the military, their control of the economy, their control of the legal system, their control of the police to prevent uh, losing mm-hmm. power, to stop themselves from losing power. thats ab- That makes sense. That's absolutely what you should expect them to do. So the people, usually what you'll find in these countries is the people went through a period of trying to get power peacefully through protests, through through attempts to change the, the constitution. This is true in Russia as well. Went through decades, generations of trying to get power peacefully. These these attempts were brutally shut down by the capitalists. And eventually the people go, okay, well, we have to resort to force. So I'm not saying that the communists in all these countries weren't prepared to do that. Some of them definitely were. Usually you find, as we see in Russia, not all the socialists wanted to resort to force. That was the major difference between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks in 1917. The Mensheviks wanted the peaceful, gradual transition of power. They wanted to uh, have a, uh, a system where they worked with the uh, other political parties in a peaceful way. And the Bolsheviks were like, well, fuck that shit. It's not going to work. Uh, we have to take yeah. power by force. Now, agree or disagree, but that was that was their point of view. It's like, listen, they're, they're, you can't trust the capitalists. They will nod and smile, and then they will stab <laughs> right. you in the back at the first opportunity because there's no way they're going to give up power yeah. willingly. We have to take it. They're weak. It's World War One. They're weakened. We need to strike while the iron's hot and take it That's by force. That's human nature. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. Well, it's it's just – it's it's logic. I mean, they're not going to give it up, the, the capitalists. That's human nature. Right. Logic says you have to take it... If you try for years or decades or generations to take power uh, peacefully and you fail, and we're talking about the majority, the people taking it from the minority of capitalists, the people that are oppressed, people of Russia, Vietnam, uh, 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 Cuba, uh, uh, Korea, uh, uh, China... Uh, you know, all of these countries, these people have been massively oppressed. They were kept, you know, poor, uneducated, illiterate. You know, it's not like, well, you know, we'll just take yeah, our time, and you know, if it takes another hundred years of our kids, our kids getting oppressed and fucking murdered and yeah, raped, then yeah. so be. No, eventually, people get to a point where they go, "Fuck you! It's time to, it's time to take power, and taking power by force is, is appears to them to be the only reasonable." Option. That's what leads to revolutions. People don't wake up one day and go, "You know what? I'm a bit bored. <laughs> Let's start a armed revolution." Yeah, half of us are probably going to get but, killed in the process, totally but it. you know, I don't know. I'm not not doing you anything know. else. What are you doing? Um, you know, they they, it, they they've driven into a corner. A people's revolution is what happens. I've just been reading. You ever read um, Hemingway for whom the bell tolls? Long time ago. Great book. I'd never read it. Um and in my attempts now to read, you know, everything that's ever been written right. by anyone, I'm I'm reading it in my spare time. It's like between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. And uh yeah, it's obviously set you know during uh uh the rebellion against Franco. Mm-hmm. And uh uh The Hero's an American who's fighting for the 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 People's guerrilla army against the fascists, right? And um, and you know, and and a lot of lot of the characters in the book are the the Spanish guerrillas articulating, you know, why they're fighting against the fascists, and they know a le- lot of us are probably going to die, a lot of our children are probably going to yeah. die. Um, that is the nature of the civil war, but we're doing it, we're fighting it, we're willing to sacrifice ourselves and the lives of our wives and our children and our brothers and sisters because we've had enough. We've had enough of the oppression. Enough's enough. It's time to to fight for control. And uh, I don't know how I got into that. (laughs) But, oh, yeah, I do. So the US and the Western powers were concerned that the communists would take over large chunks of Europe and Asia and eventually be powerful enough... To support communist movements in their own countries, in the United States, in Australia, in the United Kingdom, in Canada, mm. in France, etc. Um, and that was why they needed to shut that shit down right. and stop them from, um, you know, uh, uh, surviving and prospering as an economic, socioeconomic ideology in the middle of the 20th century.
0: Yeah. Now... Fortunately for the United States, leading the shindig, and unfortunately for Kim in North Korea, from the Americans' perspective, it's very easy to spin the tale that Kim was so blatant with his assault that he came right across, he massed his troops. It doesn't matter what statements he makes after the war starts about this is the South's fault because of border incursions, because both sides have been doing it. It doesn't matter. The Americans are going to have no trouble spinning this. As a slam dunk that Kim is the aggressor here. There's no wiggle room. This is not Poland. When the Soviets came to Poland, first it was to push the Germans out. Okay, they did that. And then they held on and they occupied it uh, until the end of the war. And then you have to hold on to it because it's a mess for security reasons. Okay, but then the you know little curtain comes down and you really can't tell what's going on in Poland and what are the Soviets doing. And before we know it, supposedly the people have voted for a, a communist government. The point is, the Americans couldn't see it all happening. They didn't know what was going on. That's and so. At least Stalin could say, "Hey, they're the ones who wanted it." But here, it's blatant aggression. Kim is trying to take uh, South Korea. He's trying to take the the re government down, and so the Americans can work with that. And even, but and I think we said this enough times, so I'll I'll just do it really quickly. But. Even this uh, senior South Korean officer said many years later, if Kim really wanted to get the South, by far his best course would have been to do nothing. His biggest mistake was attacking us. If he'd waited for a little while, Rhee was so unpopular, had in fact lost the last election, they could have probably worked something out where the North takes over and there's not this massive war. But it doesn't matter. Kim for whatever reason, because of his psychological makeup or his impatience, whatever, he attacks. Rhee is now the darling of the West. Everybody's going to get behind the United States, who's getting behind Rhee. They're going to draw a line in the sand, and the war is now on. Finally, the Americans, and Truman specifically, can say, I'm about to show you how soft I am on communism. He is going to gear up for this. Yeah, but,
2: uh, look, I I got to... clarify a few things there again yeah. like um from where i sit kim's position looks pretty simple the koreans in the north and the south all wanted to unify their country mm-hmm. it wasn't just the north that wanted to unify it the south did as well um the, the americans are on record as understanding that Seaman rhee you know made it very clear that he wanted to invade the south he, he, uh, sorry, he wanted to invade the North. Right, take it over. Singman wanted to invade the North. And one of the one of the stated reasons the Americans weren't giving him military supplies, apart from the fact they didn't have any because they got rid <laughs> right. of it all, um, they'd run out of money, was that uh, they knew he would use it to invade the North. Th- third, um, like Napoleon in 1812, it made more sense for Kim to attack first than just wait... And be fighting on your own soil. Right. If he thought Sigmund Rhee was going to attack him, which you know, there were reasons to believe, if not then, that at some point, uh Sigmund Rhee publicly, you know, had stated, or to to his American advisers anyway, that he wanted to invade the North and take it. So, you know, if you're Kim, you're gonna strike first and you're gonna wait for a point when Sigmund Rhee is at his weakest. Politically and militarily to do that, which was immediately after he lost the May elections. (laughs) Um, Fourth, South Korea was rounding up, imprisoning and executing Koreans. They needed to to be defended for humanitarian reasons. And five, the US had put a come and get this hot (laughs) pussy (laughs) sign up on the 38th parallel. Yeah. They had publicly said... We don't give a shit about South Korea. We're not even giving them any guns or bullets. You know, yeah. basically it was, a you know, a, a, how could we make this more obvious for you, Kim? Come and take it right now but, when,
0: you've got a, when, you, when you've got your chance. Yeah. Here, here's my rebuttal. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I was giving the American pro-American pro-Truman uh, perspective. But here's the other part. The truth now, now that, now that Kim has launched his attack... The truth doesn't matter because even what the people in South Korea think, feel, want doesn't matter. Because one, Rhee is going to back Truman in whatever he says and does because he needs him and he wants to stay in power and he needs his weapons. Two, Truman has got the perfect cause, supposed blatant aggression, and is going to get the free, not the free world, the non-communist world supporting him backing him up going in there attacking it doesn't matter what's true or what's not true because of the events on the ground truman's got either he's he's either got what he's needed or he's going to turn it to the advantage as best he can the truth is gone the truth doesn't matter anymore
2: yeah you're right but it does on our show absolutely i want to make sure that people listening to this have the right context and i want to get back to abraham lincoln here we go like Every time I'm writing in these notes about the North invading the South, I what? think of the American Civil War. Um, <laughs> you know, did... Uh, people Americans go, oh, you know, Kim, horrible guy, he invaded the South. Abraham Lincoln invaded the South. Oh, well, uh, yeah, but he was great. That was awesome. He <laughs> had to do that. And getting back to my big rant earlier on about the cause of civil wars... Um, People fighting civil wars because of uh, decades or centuries of oppression. Mm -hmm. The North wasn't being oppressed in the US. The North wasn't being oppressed by the South. There was no foreign power in the South that, you know, was participating in an oppression of the people. Right. No, I'm talking about fucking America, dude. America, keep up. I'm talking about your civil war. Sorry. When Lincoln invaded the South, when he took Fort Sumter, it was the beginning of the Civil War, the the South weren't oppressing the North. There was no foreign power in the South that needed to be kicked out. No. He just did it because he was like, they're they're seceding from the Union, setting up an independent country like South Korea. And he was like, no, we can't have that. No, Can't I've have that, gotta stop that. Yeah. I mean, we. Not on my watch. <laughs> Americans fucking love Lincoln, build statues to him, carve his fucking head in a mountain, <laughs> uh, you know, have a big statue of him sitting on a throne, staring down at them in their right. national capital. Love Lincoln, hero, God, Jesus. <laughs> Kim Il sung does exactly the same thing, but with better justification. The South was actually killing, arresting and killing thousands of Koreans and there was a foreign power in the South that was dictating a puppet government that was executing and imprisoning Koreans. He was like, well, fuck that. (laughs) No, but he's the bad guy. So, again, like what I'm trying to encourage people to do is like see the hypocrisy there. See it from the other side. See the hypocrisy as an independent observer. Why is Lincoln treated differently to Kim Il-sung.
0: I'm going to have to walk my dog and unpack that, so thank you if I can't get any sleep tonight.
2: You're welcome. So, uh, yes, as it was, uh, what Kim did gave Re what he lacked was legitimacy and a pretext to get the US and the UN involved in supporting a war. Now, after the UNSC vote, the Acheson met with Truman... They were apparently all still shocked, although I really don't believe that. I believe that at least Acheson uh, had planned this and knew it was coming. Mm. Um, You know, the theory is that they thought the Soviets would try and test their will at some stage, but it would be somewhere in Europe. It'd be Germany, it'd be Greece, it'd be Turkey, it'd be Iran even, not Korea, because... You know, Korea was easier for the US to support than it was for the Soviets. MacArthur was sitting next door in Japan. Yeah. Acheson later wrote plainly, this attack did not amount to a casa's belli against the Soviet Union. Equally plainly, it was an open, undisguised challenge to our internationally accepted position as the protector of South Korea an area of great importance to the security of American-occupied Japan. To back away from this challenge in view of our capacity for meeting it would be highly destructive of the power and prestige of the United States. Now, point one, protector of South Korea, not sponsor of a puppet regime in South Korea. Two... Same thing. The spin in this is outstanding. It was of great importance to the security of American-occupied Japan, except... You deliberately left it out whenever you talked about the things that were of great importance to you. It wasn't one of them. Thirdly, if it was such great importance, why the fuck didn't you give them weapons to defend themselves when they kept telling you we were going to get invaded? I mean, like the hypocrisy, the, the spin, the bullshit in this is outstanding. But you will struggle to find many American historians, or British in the case of Max Hastings, call out the bullshit in statements like that. It is quite obviously from everything I've talked about in the last six episodes, it is obviously bullshit. They invited Kim in. Big pussy, come get it. You know, (laughs) Al Swearingen saying, (laughs) what I have to say is this. (laughs) Where's my... Hold on. Hold on. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) Swearingen. (laughs) Swearingen. Pussy half off. Where's my pussy half off clip?
1: <laughs> well, I guess when it starts pissing rain in here, you know who to blame, huh? Now, I know words circulate. Indians kill the family on the Spearfish Road. Now, it's not for me to tell anyone in this camp what to do. Much as I don't want more people getting their throats cut, their scalp lifted, or any other godless thing that these godless bloodthirsty heathens do or even if someone wants to ride out in darkest night but i will tell you this i'd use tonight to get myself organized ride out in the morning clear-headed and starting tomorrow morning i will offer a personal fifty dollar bounty for every decapitated head of as many of these Godless, heathen, cocksuckers as anyone can bring in tomorrow with no upper limit. That's all I say on that subject, sick next round's on the house. <laughs> <laughs> God rest the souls of that poor family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And pussies half-price, next 15 minutes.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my God.
2: You know, that... <laughs> Such a great scene. So... You know, they were basically inviting Kim in uh, with a big pussies half off next 15 minutes (laughs) sign to say, later turn around and go, oh, we were all so shocked. Yeah. How? Come on. How could he do such a thing? Fuck off. Now, it's not just me, Cam the commie, (laughs) saying this. Um, Atchison was held largely to blame at the time for sending misleading signals to Pyongyang and Moscow. Mucho, Mucho, his own ambassador in Seoul, I've been warning for months that by excluding South Korea from the list of vital interests in Asia right. and the visible lack of political, financial, and military support for Rhee's administration was sending a message to Kim and Stalin that it was okay to take action. The US was simply not ready to assist South Korea. Everyone knew that. Um, so, to then turn around afterwards and go, oh, I was so shocked there was gambling going on in this establishment, <laughs> it's just blatant, blatant horse pucky.
0: Yeah. And, and see, what makes it so interesting again, and I, and I just want to keep harping on this because NSC 68 is all about here's a goal, but how do you achieve it? Because, and I can't remember if we've given the stats, but in 1945, at the end of World War Two, the United States had 12 million men. In uniform in 1950, 1.6 million. We've been spending 82 billion dollars a year in World War II. Now we're spending in 1950 13 billion, which is 5 percent of GNP. And we're going to go into this later. But Truman wants that number even lower. He wants it to be down to 3 percent of either GDP or GNP. And as you said earlier, you know almost every every army unit. Excuse me. It, almost every unit in the army was under-strength, under-trained, under-equipped. MacArthur didn't have shit. The people had just been lying around for the last couple of years. It was a plush assignment to be sent to Japan. I mean, you could hire people, to, the locals, to be your slaves for cents on the day. I mean, this was not a fighting force anymore. But suddenly, between what Kim does and NSC sixty-eight, we're supposed to gear up and fight the good fight against communism.
2: Yeah, and MacArthur, of course, blamed everyone hims- but himself. <laughs> but, of course, everyone knew the old rule.
1: Ha-ha, you fool! You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line! <laughs> <laughs>
2: He got involved in a land war in Asia. Jeez. Um, Now, Admiral Forrest Sherman, who is the Chief of Naval Operations, later said, I was fully aware of the hazards involved in fighting Asiatics on the Asiatic mainland, which is something that, as a naval officer, I've grown up to believe should be avoided if possible. (laughs) Um, Now... (laughs) Sherman was involved in trying to mend things after the infamous Revolt of the Admirals. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about the Revolt of the Admirals, Ray?
0: Yeah, so this is um, a very important moment, but little remembered in American history. Because one, Truman's about to be in a major fight with his military. Two, he doesn't know it at first. It's being conducted by his underlings. And three, it's to decide... How the next war America is in, and of course they're assuming the Russians, is going to be conducted... You would think now, because we assume all now, that that would be decided by the political masters. But this revolt of the admirals is what helps make that decision so obvious to us today. And again, Truman had no idea he was blindsided. And this takes place between the end of World War II and the beginning of Korean War, which of course no one expected at first, but it's right around the corner and it's not going to be the war that all the admirals and generals think it's going to be. So at the end of World War II, Washington, of course, is concerned. About spending. Truman wanted cuts deep and quick. And so he tells this to the heads of the uh, various military branches. And it's also tied into something that the General of the Army, George C. Marshall, came up with when he called for the unification of the Department of War and the Department of the Navy. And that was back in 1943. And the debate had been going on ever since up until the end of World War II. Now, back. At the end of World War II in 1945, the United States has the largest navy in the world. It's a very proud um, branch. It has a lot of traditions, and they take this very seriously. And now they're the largest in the world. But Truman comes along and says, stop all production, and I want you to start cutting. And here's what I want. And he says this to all the military branches— For the first year, I want you to cut by 66%, which is incredible. And then after that, in four years, I want your budgets cut by a total of 90%. So these are absolutely insane numbers. Still, the Army and the Air Force go along with it more or less. They keep the latest models of whatever equipment or weapons they have. They get rid of the rest or they sell the rest. But then there comes the U.S. Navy. Now, again, anybody who's ever studied military history knows that the Navy, along with the Army and the Marines, has a lot of proud traditions. And it's their job to protect their own bureaucracies, their own budgets. So the Navy is dragging its feet. Needless to say, Truman does not get his 66% cut the first year. Now, in 1946, the ranking men of the Air Force say to President Truman, to Congress, to everyone, you know what? The other branches. They're obsolete. If there's another war, if there's another Pearl Harbor, all we have to do is fly over on a bomber, drop an atomic bomb or four, and it's over. All you need is a long range bomber force. And to Truman's thinking, that made a lot of sense, so that's what he wants to do in the future. So next year, 1947, Truman and the Republican Congress are still obsessed with all the spending that's going on by the military. And they really do feel that the national debt is going to ruin the U.S. economy and they don't want to go back to the Great Depression. So they make an agreement and they tell the military that by 1949, military spending will only be 4% of GDP. And in 1951, it will be 3%. There are your goals. Deal with it. Now of course the US Navy is really worried because it's been dragging its feet. So the Navy, instead of just complying because they, you know, they do have political masters, they need to find their niche. So they they're looking for something so how how we can specialize in justifying keeping everything that we have, the largest navy in the world. And then comes a possible reprieve. In 1947 there's the uh, 1947 National Security Act and it's passed by Congress. It reorganizes the US military. There are going to be now three equal departments, the army, the navy and the air force, which is now independent. The unified command created would be called the Department of Defense and the National Security Council was created as was the CIA. So at this moment in time the US Navy is left alone and all seems fine. But then comes Truman, demanding more cuts. Now, at this time, the United States Air Force, which is a brand new uh, branch, comes up with this new doctrine called strategic bombing. It's basically warfare, but with nuclear weapons. All Congress has to do, the Air Force says, is build us a fleet of U.S.-based, long-range, strategic heavy bombers. Anybody messes with us, we can wipe them from the face of the planet. But the U.S. Navy, and I think rightly so, comes along and goes, Whoa, you can't just go around... Bombing everybody with atomic weapons, it gives you trouble. Pretty soon there won't be a planet. That is not viable. Besides, the Navy says, our carriers can do it all. We can provide close ground support. We can also carry the bombers that are going to be carrying the nuclear weapons. If, and this is important, if you let us build super carriers, say like the one that we have proposed called the USS United States, it has the capacity to carry a 100,000-pound aircraft. Now, the first Secretary of Defense, because it's been newly created, is James Forrestal, a former Secretary of the Navy, and you need to remember that. He thought this supercarrier was a great idea. So in July of 1948, the USS United States begins construction. But then Truman gets reelected, which a lot of people didn't see coming, and he asks Forrestal to resign, or I've also heard that Forrestal had bad health. Either, Either way, Truman wants him out. Why? Because he cannot stand up. To the Navy. Meanwhile, the Air Force is fighting back. They're saying, you know, for the cost of one supercarrier, we can build 500 B 36s and they can carry nuclear weapons. And as you can imagine, public opinion, when they heard this, they swung towards the Air Force because they want more bang for their buck. So in March of 1949, Forrestal is out and the new Secretary of Defense is in. His name is Louis A. Johnson. Johnson's qualifications? He was a fundraiser that helped Truman get reelected, and he liked the Air Force's position in this question. So, less than a month after taking office, Johnson orders that the construction for the USS United States stop, and this is in April of 1949. Now, as you can imagine, the Navy goes ballistic. The Secretary of the Navy, John L. Sullivan, and other high-ranking admirals resign right on the spot. This is their way of protesting. But Johnson, the new Secretary of Defense, hasn't got time for this. He replaces Sullivan with Francis P. Matthews, who's a lawyer. What is his qualification? He also was a fundraiser during the Truman re-election. Now, Johnson basically drops his own atomic bomb. The the Secretary of Defense says the following, There's no reason for having a Navy or Marine Corps. General Bradley, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, tells me that amphibious operations are a thing of the past. We'll never have any more amphibious operations. That does away with the Marine Corps, and the Air Force can do anything the Navy can do. So that does away with the Navy. This guy's just cutting it. So in May of 1949, Johnson was about to gut the Marines. But as you can imagine, they have a lot of connections in Congress. Congress goes ape shit, and to fight back, they start investigating Johnson's possible connections to the manufacturer of the B-36. Now, this investigation gets found out by a naval intelligence unit, OP-23 which puts out an anonymous document called the Worth Paper. It basically says that the B-36 is a billion-dollar blunder. So it's getting ugly now. It's starting to get out there in public. So there has to be an investigation into this. So the Worth Paper was written by a former Navy commander, and so obviously he is, he's prejudiced. He, he's, he's not being objective. But they handle their investigation, and they find that there is no connection between Johnson and the manufacturer of the long-range bomber. So Worth has to be sacrificed. He is fired. But then there's a second hearing, and this is about cutting the Navy budget and expanding the Air Force for its strategic bomber forces. So, obviously, the Navy's freaking out. Now, the new Secretary of the Navy, Francis Matthews, says that no Navy man will be punished for his testimony. You get up there, and you just tell the truth. You th- you. Tell them what you really think. As you can imagine, it's a who's who of naval officers that get up there and they testify. And as you can imagine, they all say the same thing. They speak out against the strategic bombing plan. So now, again, it's getting ugly. It's getting out in the open. Now, the House Armed Services Committee, which is responsible for funding and oversight of the Department of Defense, finds examples of when the administration and these service branches were stepping over their limits in so many ways. So it's like... The military is not listening to the administration. They want to be able to fight wars the way they want to, but they have political masters that they're ignoring. And now people who work for Truman are going after, in personal and um, unprofessional ways, people that, that disagree with them. So this is getting ugly. So they have to try and think this thing through and try to get everybody to calm down because this is about the security of the United States. There will be another war. They don't know when. They don't know who against who and how it's going to go. But you have to have your military in order because this is getting serious. So as you can imagine, Secretary Matthews goes after those who testified against his wishes, all those naval guys. So there's a whole bunch more that are fired. And it's only at this point that Truman steps in. He's the only one who has the authority to handle this thing. So he comes in He is going to put Johnson down. He's actually going to use the distraction that's coming to fire Secretary of Defense to get someone else in there. But he basically says to the military branches, you will toe the line. You will do what I say. You will fight the way I want you to fight. You can give me recommendations. But I'm the one who's in charge here. And again, this is a very big moment in U.S. history because you've seen other countries where the military comes in, they get dominant, they get too much power, they get greedy, and suddenly they're picking how things are going to be. And they're the ones who are actually picking leaders in the future or they themselves become the leader. So, th- so this is a very intense situation that the tr- uh, president has to step in. So now it's established. The president, not the Navy. We'll be making all the decisions. So the military budgets are now focused on building 1,000 long-range strategic bombers. They're going to all carry nuclear missiles. They're going to be placed around the world at various bases, and that way we've got the entire world covered. The Navy and the Army's budgets are going to be cut. But then comes the Korean War. The Truman administration decides it's going to get involved, as we covered, which means the Army and the Navy Their budgets are saved. And as Truman decided right away not to use nuclear weapons, that means conventional means have to be used. So when Truman steps up and he says he wants a naval blockade against North Korea, it can't be done. The U.S. Navy does not have enough ships because of all the cutting they've been doing for the last five years. Even though they've been fighting it, they have been cutting things. And the Army is not up to snuff because of their severe cutbacks, and I think we've already covered a lot of that, certainly when it comes to MacArthur's troops. So, the Korean War is underway. With this diversion, Truman gets rid of Secretary of Defense Johnson. He lets him take the fall for all the cuts, all the blame. Now, Truman needs someone in there who not only knows the military, but who is respected by the three services. And, of course, that was George Marshall. So the Korean War made it clear that aircraft carriers would still be the primary means of projecting conventional power, and that's what Truman has decided to use. And it's also going to be carriers that are going to help enforce U.S. foreign policy. And of course, as the Cold War goes on, the foreign policy of America becomes a lot more important. So... In the end, the Navy will get its super carriers, but they have to wait until 1955. These things are like 60,000 tons; they're one and a half times size of the World War II Midway class carriers. And the first one built was the USS Forrestal, the first Secretary of Defense and a former Navy man. Oh, oh! You finished, Jesus! <laughs> well, I was expecting
2: Fucking Christ. What happened to readers? <laughs> What happened to Reader's Digest, Harris? I was
0: expecting you to jump in. I just thought that whole thing was cool. I didn't.
2: I fell asleep about 15 <laughs> minutes ago.
0: I didn't know much about that, so I went a little deep.
2: Yeah, you think? <clears throat> <clears throat> I was expecting you to give me, like, th- three lines, <laughs> and that'd be enough. i will be like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um... Uh, well, here's my yep. main point. It's known as the Revolt of the Admirals, but f- from henceforth we shall refer to it as Truman's Purge. Yes. When Stalin gets rid of his generals, <laughs> it's a purge. Truman. <laughs> when Truman gets rid of his admirals, it's a revolt it's of the
0: admirals. Fault. I got gotcha. you.
2: It's their I gotcha. fault, exactly. When Tru- we got
0: ugly, see, see how this works. When Stalin does it, right. it's a purge. In, in, in the words you use, Truman- is important. That's the point you were making.
2: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Truman purged his navy. So, of course, when the Korean War started, Truman called for a naval blockade of North Korea, (laughs) and they went, with what? We can't. (laughs) It's like, well, with our navy. We don't have one anymore. You purged it.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. It's true. They didn't have the Army. They didn't have the Navy. And you weren't going to use nuclear missiles. What the fuck are you going to do now?
2: Getting back to the budget question. Yeah. Um, I want to point out that at the, by, by April 1945, the war was costing American taxpayers over $100 billion a year, oh. which at the time was 41% yes. of GDP. Oh, my God. Do you know what percentage of the GDP the US spends on military on the military budget today?
0: I am too afraid. I uh 15%. I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh,
2: should no, should I know? Don't pay any attention. Yeah, you're an American. You don't pay attention to where your government spends your fucking money? No.
0: Do you think less of me now?
2: <laughs> That's not possible. Uh How much money does you your know. government
0: how much does your government spend on military
2: $4.95 every week <laughs> mind you we never let it slip <laughs> 3.145% 3.145% of gdp is what it it's is a
0: trillion-dollar economy. So that's
2: what Truman wanted yeah, to get it down exactly. to. It's what he got it down to. It's what it is today. It went up, but it's back down to that. Now, that's $623 billion today uh, a year, give or take, uh, that the US spends on <sighs> right. military. Um, it's uh, you know still bigger than, I think, the next 10 countries in the world put together military yes. budgets. Um, In terms of of pure volume, because the US GDP is so strong. Um, Although China's is bigger now, their their GDP, at a PPP level anyway. Uh, But imagine if it was still running at 41%, which is what it was at the end of World War II, was going to be my point. Uh, Imagine what America's military would look like today. So a CIA report on the 28th of June, nineteen fifty said the invasion of the Republic of Korea by the North Korean army was undoubtedly undertaken at Soviet direction and Soviet material support is unquestionably being provided. The Soviet objective is the elimination of the last remaining anti-communist bridgehead on the mainland of northern Asia, thereby undermining the position of the United States and the Western powers throughout the Far East. Bullshit. Now... What is that based
0: on? Yeah, a couple what is of that things. CIA yeah. report based on? Sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. So a couple of issues here. It wasn't undertaken at Soviet direction. Um, it, Star, as far as we know, Stalin reluctantly agreed to it after he was convinced by Mao and Kim that it would all be over quickly and that the Americans uh, right, didn't care. Right, right. Secondly... The key phrase I want you to think take from this is under, thereby undermining the position of the United States. <clears throat> that is the key phrase here. That's the issue. It, yeah. It's not about, Korea. you know, communist versus capitalist. Right. It's not about the Korean people. It's not about freedom. It's about undermining the position of the United States in the Far East. That is was the CIA's concern so Truman anyway after the the invasion in the US uh, UN Security Council meeting made three immediate decisions Mm -hmm. MacArthur was told to evacuate the 2000 Americans that were still in Korea unfortunately there were ships the one ship that the Navy still had left Uh, it was the USS Gilligan Uh, it was told to evacuate all the Americans (laughs) MacArthur was also ordered to provide the South Koreans with every available item of equipment and round of ammunition that could be sent (laughs) from Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, He he said, well, what do we do if the Japanese rise up? Don't worry about that. We're working on Godzilla. It's all good. (laughs) Third, his area of command was to be extended to include Formosa, now known as Taiwan. Now. This is where Chiang Kai-shek was hiding from Mao and and running the Chinese government in exile. The Americans were convinced that this whole thing was the first play of a huge orchestrated Soviet effort to take over the world. Of course, they couldn't have been more wrong. And if they'd only (laughs) asked Stalin... Yeah. ...and and had a diplomatic relationship with Stalin... Right. This would have played out differently. If we yeah. were back in early 1945 and he was meeting with FDR, he would have said, uh, uh, Franklin, my friend, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, South Korea, should I take it? Should I not take it? Should Kim care? take it or not take it? No. I, I don't know. Have some water. Here's a lemon tree. <laughs> have my lemon tree and just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. I just I, I want to it's... keep you happy, Franklin. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. And
2: he would have said, well... <laughs> Well, Joe, probably best that you don't uh, tell Kim don't do not do it. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell Kim don't do it, my friend. Here's, Here's another lemon tree. Have my lemon tree. Right. They didn't no, talk about it. Stalin no didn't give a shit, really. Right. But um, he had said no, no, no. Finally, he said yes. And, of course, they see this as one thing, but really it's another thing. Um, on June 26th, the Korean ambassador got another phone call from Singman Rhee. This time he sounded pretty shaken. Right. Said things weren't going well. Oh. Uh, Seoul had fallen or was about to fall. He was jumping on a train to get the fuck out of Dodge. <clears throat> Ordered them to beg the Americans for support. So they met, the Koreans this is, in Washington, they met with Truman and Atchison Ooh, again that day, right. where they were told the US would support the UN resolution. Now, they weren't exactly sure what that meant. <laughs> because there was no UN resolution at that point. So they left confused and upset. But the next day they got a phone call from Truman who promised immediate and unequivocal US air and naval support. Now they said with that. what? He said with my with my huge <laughs> navy. They said what? The USS Gilligan. He said, "Well, <laughs> yes.
0: Look, we're working on it."
2: <laughs> Working on it. When Singman Ree heard about the promise of your support, he said it was too little and too late. Oh. Douglas MacArthur later wrote, I could not help, I could not help <coughs> being amazed at the manner in which this great decision was being made. With no submission to Congress, whose duty it is to declare war, and without even consulting the field commander involved, the members of the executive branch, agreed to enter the Korean War. All the risks inherent in this decision, including the possibility of Chinese and Russian involvement, applied then just as much as they applied later. My 19-year-old son, Hunter, who wants to move to L.A. and become an actor, has been taking American accent Ah, lessons with with a teacher and also with Chrissy. And I have to laugh. I just say, (laughs) I just do. This voice, when I want to do Americans, it's, it's... I do David Markham. I have two American accents that I do. David Markham? If I think about it, Chrissy said this to me last night. Like, I'll sit in on his lessons with Chrissy, and if I try and do it, I can't do it. If I try and speak in an American accent, I can't. But if in my head I go, well, I'm David Markham now, well, my friends... <laughs> I could not help Perfect. being amazed at the manner in which this great decision was being made. I can do American if I do J. David Markham. Um, anyway, Doug, Douglas MacArthur wasn't the only one who was shocked and surprised, obviously, at the US response. Moscow and China yeah, what the fuck? They did double take so fast their heads fell off and they had to pick them up well, they were made in China right. heads is the Ooh, problem boom, boom. here. They had to put them back on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, wait, 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 wait. You've been telling us for six months you don't care about yeah. South Korea. Yeah. All of a sudden you care about South Korea? When did that happen? Yeah. Not just them. The British were surprised. The Britisher, British ambassador in Peking cabled to London a few days later saying the strength and extent of American reaction has been a shocking surprise and will prove a grave embarrassment to the people's government. Oh, my God. Especially Truman's decision to put the US in control of Formosa, a.k.a. Taiwan, Mm -hmm. which was obviously going to bind the US even closer than they already were. They'd already spent $3.5 billion on Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists. Right. Now they're taking over his island... Which, as far as Mao concerned, is part of China yeah. then and as now. Now, Mao, you can understand, is going to be pretty pissed off when the Americans just took a bit of China. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that <laughs> island, Formosa, that's ours now. That's yeah. us. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll have that. Uh, we are now in military control of part of China. Mao's Damn. like fucking what? Yeah, uh, <laughs> but he can't do anything. I don't. I don't <laughs> fucking think so. so
0: yeah, but it, yeah, but, they were like, yeah, yeah it's ours yeah. now. We have the Seventh Fleet that says oh Yeah. So on at ten forty-five p.m. Tuesday,
2: Ju- Seventh Fleet. Right. Gilligan's oh. Gilligan's ship is the Seventh Fleet at this point. USS yeah. Gilligan. We got the Gilligan, we got the Gilligan <laughs> and and the uh, and the and the girls right. on there. I, I, I never watched. USS all
0: Gilligan. It you got the USS Marianne and Ginger. USS Mister and Missus Howell. Yeah, <laughs> so we got it all. USS Professor. <laughs> Um, So at 10.45 p.m. on a Tuesday, June 27th, the U.S. ambassador Warren Austin sponsored a resolution which called on member nations to render such assistance to the Republic of Korea as may be necessary to repel the armed attack and to restore international peace and security to the area. Believe it or not, this past seven to one, Yugoslavia abstained. So America is getting what it wants.
2: Actually, my records say Yugoslavia was the one oh, okay. that voted against I, I
0: probably typed in haste. It.
2: I know in the book that you're looking at... No, in the book you're looking at, it says abstain. I don't, I don't think they did. This is United Nations Security mm. Council Resolution 83... Uh, according, according to the other right. stuff that I've read on that, on the UN's website, uh, Yugoslavia uh, abst- uh, uh, we, we voted against. Soviet Union, again, uh, were not <laughs> present because they were still <laughs> trying to get back in the room. Oh, no, 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 no we, we, we changed in. our mind. Uh, nope. Yeah. Um, it was uh, Yugoslavia against, present but not voting, uh, which would be abstained, was Egypt... And India, and absent gotcha. was the USSR, according to um, the United okay. Nations own website. Uh, <clears throat> now, at a press conference afterwards, Truman agreed with a reporter who asked, "Would it be correct to call it a police action under the United Nations?" And he said, "Yes, no. it would. So it's not a war; it's a Thank police God. action." Um. How many Americans died in this police action? Yes. Uh, 50-odd thousand uh, yeah. Americans died in this police action? Yes. I and mean, millions of Koreans. Millions of Koreans died under a Jeez. police action. Now, Truman, of course, as we've said many times, been accused by his Republican opponents of being weak on communism. Now he had a chance to show them <laughs> who was boss. So, qui bono, who benefits from this? Mm-hmm. Douglas MacArthur benefits The uh, military-industrial complex benefits. Guys like Paul Neitz, Dean Acheson, who wanted to push through NSC 68, benefit. Uh, And Truman benefits because it gives him a chance to look strong. Singman Rhee benefits because he's now got the American military on his side. And despite him being deeply unpopular uh, with the Americans, he's now the man of the hour. Um, he's not going anywhere, even though he's just been voted out. Doesn't matter. He's State the only guy they know there. Everyone else there, they just call gook. You know. Oh, sorry, China girl. And they're like, we're not, we're not Chinese. Yeah, gooks and China They're like, hey, we're Koreans. They're like, ah, whatever. The State Department then made a series of flurried calls to the British, Canadian, French, and Australians, and other non-communist powers. Asking for a token commitment in the cause of freedom. Freedom! Australia agreed to send four four kangaroos, (laughs) a wombat and a didgeridoo. (laughs) Uh, MacArthur was to be the commander of the entire uh, police force. Yes police action now dubious dubious choice even understood at the time to be a dubious choice the new york times noted diplomacy and a vast concern for the opinions and sensitivities of others are the political qualities essential to this new assignment and these are precisely the qualities general macarthur has been accused of lacking in the (laughs) past
0: so truman can't say he didn't know because it's in the fucking new york times come on
2: now, um, I, I'm just going to wrap up by doing a little bit of a media storm okay. here, Ray. So if you have any final uh, comments, you should get uh, them in now. But please don't spend another 20 minutes talking about the revolt was, of the admirals.
0: I was born... No, no, I have nothing. Go, Go right ahead and wrap it up.
2: So the New York Times did support the police action. They called it a momentous and courageous <coughs> act and welcomed the revision of the American policy in the Far East that helped to lose China. Um, So they were for it, uh, just as the New York Times was for the uh, invasion of Iraq in 2003. (laughs) Uh, And recently uh, supporting the uh, action of overthrowing the attempted American overthrow of the Venezuelan government, which failed, so far failed. Other news organisations at the time weren't in support. I went through, again, newspapers.com and read uh, quite a Mm. few uh, newspapers from the time. Here's what I found. Um, On June 27th, the Chicago Tribune ran a story which said, American involvement in war appeared unlikely tonight, as the fall of South Korea to communist invaders from North Korea Korea appeared imminent. Chairman Connolly, Democrat of Texas, of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, said President Truman does not want to take a course of action in the new Far Eastern crisis, which might involve this country in war until all aspects of the matter have been considered by him. Republican Senate leaders agreed unanimously that the communist attack should not be allowed to involve this country in war, although they pledged themselves to military to support military aid and supplies to the embattled South Korean Republic. Right. That position obviously didn't last long. This came on the same day that Truman offered South Korea unmitigated mm. support. Um, so, yes, obviously things escalated from here. But the position of uh, the Republican Senate leaders at the time was that America should not get involved in a war in South Korea. Um, Obviously, we'll see how that changed as we went along. That same edition of the Tribune, by the way, had the first eyewitness account of the attack from an American. uh, Walter Simmons, a Chicago Tribune reporter, he said that he and the other Americans in Seoul barely escaped in Jeep's But Middle America seemed to be in favour of it. It's interesting to read some of the newspaper articles of the time and note the biases. This is where I have my I.F. Stone quote that I was looking for Mm. earlier. His book on the Korean War that he wrote in 1952, he writes, emphasis, omission and distortion rather than outright lying are the tools of the war propagandists. And this book may help the reader to learn how to sift out the facts for himself he was a you know very very uh, popular journalist himself at the time had his own newspaper mm-hmm. that was took took a you know very progressive leftist view on america but these he's absolutely right and this is the same thing that chomsky and herman pointed out in their book on manufacturing consent the way propaganda works in the west people don't usually understand this is it's not by usually by outright lying although that right. does happen it's through emphasis omission and distortion what are the stories that we cover versus the stories that we don't cover what are the aspects of the stories that we give more time and focus to uh than the aspects of it that we give less to mm-hmm. what what are the what are the facts that we omit from the stories what are the facts that we distort what are the, the what are the words that we use that give a different impression like uh What did I say before? We we give aid. They're not a puppet regime. If the other people are giving them aid, they're a puppet regime. If we're giving them aid, we're we're, uh, supporting freedom. That kind of stuff, right? So here's an example. Boston Globe, June 26, 1950. U.S. faces dilemma on aid to Korea. Could mean war. But if communism wins by default, Americans would lose friendly Asia. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, America would lose Asia. Right. They're losing Asia, losing friendly Asia. It's it's a yours. America yeah. owns it. It's You're going to lose ours. it. People are trying to take yeah. your Asia. Don't you know? Don't 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 take <laughs> a man's Asia. That's not cool, don't take dude. My China. It's our Asia. Don't take we don't want to Asia. lose our Asia.
0: Right. right. Hmm.
2: Yeah. It goes on. The same article. The United States and Russia are in opposite corners in the Korean War. Russia is supporting Northern Korea, a communist puppet state, which attacked the American-supported Southern Korea before dawn Sunday in an attempt to win control of the whole country. Get that? Nice. North Korea is a puppet state, right? but South Korea is American-supported. Aw. Like... We're the good guys. It's fucking gold, right? <laughs> it's right there. That's all you need to know. North Korea is a puppet state. Yeah. South Korea is American-supported. That's pretty They're much lucky. it in a fucking nutshell. Yes. That's American propaganda 101, that sentence, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Boston Boston Globe. Honolulu Star Bulletin wrote, If by good fortune and immense effort, the combination of South Koreans and Americans can turn the tide and drive the red invaders... Back across the 38th parallel, the movement should not stop there. It should not stop until the southern forces have taken over and occupied all the communist strongholds in the north. It should not stop until Korea is unified and under a government sanctioned by the United Nations and directly supervised by the United States as the only power with the material means to carry out such supervision. So wow, guys? let's unpick yeah. that. Red invaders, yeah, red invaders. They're fucking Koreans. It's their own they're country. They can't be invaders right. in their own right. country. Did Abraham Lincoln <laughs> invade the South or did he unify? <gasps> All right, red right. invaders. The US should not stop until Korea is unified. Whoa, whoa, whoa. so it's okay. To do what the North are trying to do? The North need to be stopped. Why? They're trying to unify the country. What will we do after we defeat them? We will unify the country. Wait, isn't that what they're trying to do? Yes, but they're trying to do it in the wrong way. Their kind of unification isn't the right kind of unification. Why not? Because the United States needs to supervise... The, the country god, afterwards awesome. is that a puppet regime no we're not we're not puppet regime we're supervising right. them we're yes. supporting them yeah they are invaders we're no. not invaders they're Koreans in their own country we're going to get involved and we're, we're, but we're not invaders even <laughs> though we're a different nation they're invaders it's the same bucket people <laughs> but makes, no they're the invaders we are the swing makes sense to me oh makes god it's classic sense. um ah uh, and, of course, not all Koreans in the South were fans of the Americans or Rhee. As we said, Rhee had just lost the elections in May. Opposition parties that had survived, you know, most of them weren't communists, but they'd had a huge uh, uh, boost in in their right. votes that they took, that mostly independents, because you couldn't be a communist because he'd shut down the communists or the socialist parties there. Drew Pearson, the uh, journalist we've quoted from before, I think he was uh, one of the guys that leaked the fact that uh, 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 there was Soviet spies in the Mm -hmm. uh, Roosevelt and Truman administration. Um, He quoted a spokesman for the South Korean Army deserters who said, we will grasp firmly the sword in order to obliterate from our fatherland the so-called American military advisors, the United Nations Commission, and their lackey, the Syngman Rhee gang. We pledge our last drop of blood. So these are South Korean military (laughs) people saying, we want to get rid of the Americans and Syngman Rhee The British ambassador, Oliver Franks, sent a cable to London saying the average American is pleased that the United States has for once boldly taken the initiative, proud that it has called the Soviet bluff and won't let them get away with it. Virtually all shades of opinion wholeheartedly support the president. Wow. An hour after Truman's announcement of America's military commitment to South Korea, Congress approved a bill extending the draft by 314 votes to four. Damn. On June 30th, the military assistance program for Korea passed the Senate by 66 votes to zero. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, American politicians on both sides were all for this. Uh, Most of middle America, most of the American media was all wave the flag, rah, rah, chant, chant, let's go, America, Team America, (laughs) fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oliver Franks, the British envoy, was a close friend of Dean Acheson, a big admirer of Dean Acheson. He wrote, he came to believe that the United States had an appointment with destiny, from which there was no way out but for the nation to lead and bend its whole energies to ordering the world. He could be irascible, romantic, short-tempered, but he was a blade of steel. And that's the problem. Like this, 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 from my perspective, this view that Acheson and, and many Americans since have had mm-hmm. that it's your destiny right. to order the world. Yeah. If the Soviets are trying to order the world, Boo. it's, uh, you know, a bad thing. If the right. Americans are trying to order the world, like Jesus. it's to be celebrated. As speaking on behalf of my official position as a representative of the world, I can tell you that we want to say, leave us the fuck alone. We don't want you. We don't need you. You're the cause of more problems than you have been of solutions. And if Americans take umbrage at that, you know, you need to read some fucking books. If you think America has done less harm than it has done good in the last 70 years, You seriously need to read some fucking books. Come at me, bro, but come with facts (laughs) and come (laughs) with arguments because uh, I will show you the list of countries where you've overthrown the governments and installed military dictatorships and the millions of civilians, men, women, children, priests, nuns, that they have killed with American military support. Uh, And the numbers add up. Uh, massively over the last 70 years. I'll show you the the children and civilians who have died because of economic sanctions that you've placed on their countries, not because those countries have attacked yours. Right. Or just because you didn't like you just didn't like their government, so you placed economic sanctions which means those countries couldn't buy medicine or fertilizer or couldn't sell their products and get money. So their children when hungry or their children couldn't get medicine and die. The civilians died because they couldn't get heart medicine or this or that or the other or operations when they needed it. Yeah. Um. You know, just uh, read a fucking book, people, is all I'm asking. That's not to say America is unilaterally bad and has only done bad things, but, you know. It, it's Be honest. It's, well, yeah, both. Yeah. Yeah. There's good and there's bad, and probably more bad than good. I mean, I might be wrong on that. Maybe if I did the maths carefully, and it's complex maths, maybe we would decide it's more good than bad. But it's, it's a close-run thing at best, yeah. uh, to be honest. Anyway, let's wrap this <coughs> bit up. Uh, despite some initial successes by the North, obviously the unexpected American response to the war dampened Kim Il-sung's yeah. confidence, and he kind of wavered. After he was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I thought this... Who I thought, oh, fuck. Yeah. Stalin, however, apparently demanded that the war continue. Encouraged, encouraged Kim with uh, new deliveries of military hardware, new military advisors. Mm. Stalin wrote to the Soviet ambassador in Pyongyang on the 1st of July, 1950, in our opinion, the attack absolutely must continue. And the sooner South Korea is liberated, the less chance there is for intervention. Good point. So his view was, well, you got the tip in. We fucking done it yeah. now, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well go with tipper's in. Might as well, might as well knock this bitch up, man, because uh, her daddy, her daddy done found out. Yep. You stuck the tip Do what in you can
0: while you can. You
2: might as well right.
0: uh, push it. Yeah, yeah,
2: let's try and. Get it over <laughs> as quickly as possible. Heather, is that you? And uh, now, that oh, <laughs> now that we've. Sorry. <laughs> now that we've. Now that. It's late. <laughs> no.
0: Hell, I don't know.
2: I'm looking for. I'm looking for. Where <laughs> is it? Uh, oh, yeah.
0: Oh, I'm hard. I'm so hard. I'm just hard. But I I take your point, sir. Right in the balls.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, we're way, way over time, mostly thanks to your revolt of the Admiral's dissertation. That's the end of episode 132. Uh, We may take a break next time and start talking about China or Israel. Now that we've kicked off the Korean War, like we kicked off the first Indochina War, we're going to jump around. Yeah, keep it fresh. Go in and out. Zoom in zoom and, out, zoom in, zoom. in yeah. and out. In and <clears> out. In <throat> and in and out.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm hard. <laughs> I'm so hard. That's not sexy. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Uh, Get your finger off that. It's a good thing I'm <laughs> drunk. Just tell me you have your pants on while you listen to that. That's all uh, I need to know. We'll be.
2: Well, there's another clip. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Be nice to each other.
1: An iron curtain has descended across the continent.